0: everyone, it is Tuesday, August 16th. I'm Moshe Wanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We try to read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. There's a lot to get to on this Tuesday. We'll have details today on the investigation out of Georgia. This is a separate criminal investigation into former President Trump and his allies and their effort to overturn the 2020 election. We'll also have some more details on what took place at Mar-a-Lago last week. We're hearing from Iran for the first time since the assassination attempt on author Salman Rushdie, what they're saying today. We have a couple of climate headlines we're monitoring. One does not bode well for the price of spaghetti sauce at the grocery store, we'll explain. And another one is a long-term climate forecast for the coming decades where triple-digit temps may soon be the norm in America. There's a new study out on the amount of sleep kids need and its impact on their growth. And we'll tell you about a new effort to keep your dog alive longer, how technology might one day help humans. Okay, let's get started today with our lead story. We're following a number of major developments out of Georgia this week as the criminal investigation into former President Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election heats up down there. His former personal attorney, that's Rudy Giuliani, the former New York City mayor, he learned yesterday that he is the target of a criminal probe in Georgia. He's actually now scheduled to testify Wednesday before a special grand jury just outside Atlanta. That comes after a judge ordered him to comply with a subpoena. Giuliani is among several Trump advisors and lawyers who've received subpoenas in the last month. That also includes South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. This investigation out of Fulton County down in Georgia started just over 18 months ago. It links back to the recorded phone call. You might remember this. January 2021, Trump called the top state election official and said, please find me the votes to win Georgia. They did not like what took place there. A criminal investigation and case opened up. And so now this is where we're at. They could be facing things like prison time, depending on how the grand jury decides here and if this thing goes to trial. Now, just for context here, there are multiple cases we've been telling you about, including some of them that I went over yesterday with Sarah Isker of The Dispatch. She was on my podcast on Monday. If you're looking for a deep dive into what took place in Mar-a-Lago, I highly suggest listening to that episode. So there is this Georgia criminal case. Then there's a criminal case and civil case in New York, two different cases into his businesses, how Trump Corporation acted and whether they broke any laws. And then there are the federal investigations So Georgia, the two New York investigations, and then federally. Number one, the January 6th investigation into whether Trump and other allies broke federal election laws in their effort to overturn the election. And then the classified documents investigation, the one we've been following for the last week, whether Trump broke one of three laws, Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, or destruction of documents. That is the other federal case we are watching. When it comes to Georgia, this is a pivotal week. It's notable because some of the people testifying against Team Trump are Republicans you know, this is Georgia, a pretty red state until recently. And so Secretary of State was a was a Republican, the governor was a Republican, and Trump and his allies were pushing these Republicans who, by the way, campaigned for him during the election of 2020 to find him the votes. They did not like this, They did not appreciate this. And they felt that in some cases, they might be being pushed to break the law here, which is what led to this criminal investigation. So Rudy and Lindsay say, they say they did nothing wrong. But they were like, we also don't want to testify here. They were finally pushed, subpoenaed, fought the subpoena. The judge is like, you got to testify. Giuliani is accused of pushing false information, trying to create alternate slice of electors. Lindsey Graham's accused of making some phone calls here. Now, Giuliani is a target of the investigation. Lindsey is just a witness. Either way, they are among uh, more than a dozen, nearly two dozen people that are designated uh, as potential targets and witnesses in this investigation. There are actually 17 targets of the investigation. This includes two state senators, the head of the state Republican Party, It'll be very interesting to see what happens in Georgia. Meanwhile, we have more fallout. It's been a week since that search of Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department said on Monday that they have asked the judge to keep sealed the sworn affidavit that led to the search of Trump's house. Uh, Remember, the affidavit here, this could run hundreds of pages. This is the argument the FBI made to the judge to get the search warrant approved. It often offers key details about an investigation, key details into Again, what the argument was, why they need to search Mar-a-Lago so urgently last week. And so DOJ is like, listen, we released a search warrant, that kind of basic document. It listed the charges up against Trump, vaguely, generally, what they took from the House. We still don't have details there. Besides, we know they were classified, top secret documents, etc. But the affidavit, it's very uncommon for them to release it during an investigation. They don't release it if the investigation doesn't end up in charges. So in this case, Justice Department is like, we're not going to release it. By the way, this all comes as Trump says that the FBI took his passports during that search last week. Uh, We learned late Monday night that the Justice Department did obtain the passports. They were recovered by the filter team. The filter team is something the Justice Department has. We talked about this with Sarah Isker yesterday to go through everything taken during a search warrant. Oftentimes during a search warrant, they will vacuum up things that don't belong to the investigation that need to be returned. Uh, They weed out privileged information, stuff that's privileged between... Person who is subject to the search, in this case Donald Trump and his attorneys. So DOJ, by the way, has offered the passports back. Are bad for taking them during the during the search, but Trump did publicize this even after the Justice Department offered them back. So Trump had already learned that the Justice Department was going to return his passport, but uh, decided to publicize it anyway. The big question moving ahead when it comes to this classified investigation, obviously separate from these other investigations, is what happens next? Did the uh, government just want to get those documents back? And that's it? Or will they find malfeasance? Will they find a crime and actually indict either the former president or somebody around him with any crimes here related to the uh, keeping of classified documents more than 18 months after he left the White House? All right, now I want to get to the latest on the Salman Rushdie attack. The author was attacked on stage last Friday uh, in upstate New York. He is no longer on a ventilator, but according to his son, has injuries from the stabbing that are life changing. This really was a scary situation. He was stabbed multiple times. The attacker, his name is Hadi Matar. He's 24 years old. His mother is speaking out. She claims that he went on a months-long trip to the Middle East back in 2018 and returned a religious zealot, uh, had gone to extremism. Matar, for his part, was in court over the weekend. He pleaded not guilty to the attack. Iran put out a fatwa, a religious order to kill Salman Rushdie decades ago. And so obviously when this attack happened on Friday, a lot of people pointed fingers to Iran. Iran, for their part, is very careful with their words here, denying official involvement in the attack. They say the blame belongs to the author himself. That's Rushdie. There's a long history here between Rushdie and Iran. So In the late 80s, following the publication of his book, The Satanic Verses, Iran put out a fatwa. This came from the Ayatollah, the highest religious leader in Iran, that basically said that he'd committed a sin against Islam with the publication of this novel. And so he basically said, there is a reward for whoever kills Salman Rushdie. In recent years, Iran has toned down that fatwa, so to speak, but they have not officially revoked it. They say they don't have an opinion whether he dies or lives. Either way, there is evidence and reports coming from abroad as well as from Vice News that Matar, this is the 24-year-old accuser, was in touch with a group called the IRGC on social media. The IRGC is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. They're a unit of the Iranian military that deals with operations, particularly terrorist operations abroad. There's evidence that, according again to Vice and other foreign media reports, that Matar was in touch with them via social media. This is something that ISIS and other groups do, which is find vulnerable people abroad who might pursue their means, but are able to sort of do so with gloves on, so to speak, without giving specific direction, but kind of nudging them in a certain direction. By the way, Satanic Verses, for those asking, is a book that has now been out for nearly 34 years. It's a novel about two Indian Muslims living in England. It reimagines parts of the Prophet Muhammad's life, and in one section suggests that the founder of Islam, the Prophet Muhammad, might have flirted with polytheism, belief in multiple gods, and so that is what upset the Iranian leadership back in the late 80s. He got death threats. Rushdie actually had to live in hiding for 10 years and adopt an alternate identity. The book was banned in India and other countries. The controversy ignited violent protests, attacks on bookstores around the world, and actually led to the death of a Japanese scholar who had translated the book back in 1991. We'll keep monitoring Rushdie's recovery as well as the Hadi Matar trial. Uh, he has not even been given bail right now. So I'm monitoring a couple climate headlines that came out on Monday, and one of them is impacting Americans at the grocery store. It turns out that California, which leads the world in production of processing tomatoes, by the way, this is something I learned today. I did not realize that one in four tomatoes around the world comes from California. Apparently, because of the record drought, farmers are having a major, major problem keeping up production. So the tomato that comes out of California is the one that gets canned and is used in a lot of popular foods, ketchup spaghetti sauce, salsas. And so already the price has gone up and consumers should expect that the price will continue to go up in the coming months. This drought is a real issue. Apparently, according to scientists, it is the worst drought, prolonged drought period that California has experienced in 1,200 years. Bloomberg News has a good story out on this. They spoke to a number of farmers in California, including one out of Fresno County, who says it now costs nearly $5,000 an acre to grow and harvest a tomato crop. It only cost $2,800 a decade ago, so nearly double. So this is one of the things we should all be thinking about as we see these climate headlines. It's not just about, it's going to get a little warmer. I ought to spend more time in the AC potentially in summers coming up, but there are real world impacts when it comes to groceries, when it comes to ranchers, farmers of what climate change could do. This comes as we got a long-term climate study also out on Monday. This is a climate forecast for the U.S. in the decades to come. A Washington Post analysis of this study found that in the next 20 to 25 years, nearly two-thirds of Americans, so by the year 2050, two-thirds of Americans, more than 200 million Americans, will experience major heat waves over 100 degrees on a regular basis. Some regions in the South are expected to endure more than 70 days of 100 degree plus temperatures. This is data coming out of the nonprofit foundation First Street, and it comes as more Americans are moving to some of those hot parts of the U.S. You know, during COVID over the course of the past decade, more and more people are moving to places like Texas, Florida, etc. And this study shows particularly along the Sunbelt, Texas, the Gulf, Florida, they could be seeing sustained 100 degree summers for a couple months of the summer coming up in the next decade or two. And a warning for the folks down in Miami-Dade County, they are likely to suffer the most extreme change. Right now, if you live in Miami-Dade County, you see about 50 days of a heat index above 100 degrees. By 2053, so just about 30 years from now, that will nearly double to nearly 100 days of 100 degree plus heat index. So think about that, you know, basically between May and September, nearly 100 days over 100 plus degrees. Again, this is just a climate forecast. They took a lot into account here at the Nonprofit Foundation First Street, but it's worth taking a look at. And remember, when you're talking about places like the Gulf Coast, we're not talking about a dry heat like those in Arizona and Vegas. This is a muggy, humid heat, 100 degree plus temps, heat index going even further. And a reminder that heat is the top weather related killer in the US. That's more than tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, Heat and so this this portends dangerous things in the coming decades. And all this data comes as later today. President Biden is set to sign a major climate bill into law. This is a seven hundred billion dollar bill that Joe Manchin finally agreed to, passed the Senate, passed the House has a bit of stuff for the oil industry, coal industry as well, but ultimately there's a lot here for environmentalists, not as much as they hoped for, but there are some significant things in here. The hope was to cut in half what we emitted in 2005 by 2030. It's going to cut it by 42%, so not quite half of the CO2 that we emitted in 05 by 2030, but almost there, which is significant. And uh, people are applauding. And there's lots of incentives in this bill, which will become law later today, when President Biden signs it for you to put solar panels on your roofs, energy efficient windows, so heat and cold don't escape and high efficiency appliances. So check all those clauses out. There's gonna be a bunch of stories out there uh, talking about the tax incentives you have as you consider home renovations or buying a new home. There's also one other political headline we're watching today that comes out of Wyoming and Alaska. Today was actually the most anticipated date on the primary calendar for many months, but it has turned out that two of the highest-profile Republican critics of Trump are facing the voters, and it doesn't look like they're competitive anymore, and they're going to go two different directions. I'm talking about Liz Cheney in Wyoming and Lisa Murkowski over in Alaska. So Liz Cheney, who you've been seeing a lot of lately, she's the congresswoman from Wyoming. She's been a part of the January 6th investigative committee. She voted to impeach Trump. She looks like, unless there's a miracle, she will be going down in tonight's Wyoming primary. Cheney is facing a candidate endorsed by Trump in a very pro-Trump state, but Cheney has made a point of taking a stand here, saying she stands for her ethics. She stands for something. And she's not going to just take the expedient route of just supporting Trump, even though She believes he committed crimes. Cheney's one of what they call the impeachment 10. These are the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump in the House between retirements and primaries. But she, after tonight in Wyoming, nearly all of them will not be in the next Congress. Cheney's been one of the loudest critics. In the last couple of weeks, she actually enlisted her father, former Republican Vice President Dick Cheney, who said in a commercial that Trump is the most dangerous thing to happen in the U.S. in 200 years. And by the way, that's not something you put out in a commercial in Wyoming in a Republican primary where the vast majority of the voters like Trump. But again, Cheney, both she and her father are saying they stand for something more than just allegiance to one man. One thing we will be watching for is indications on whether she might run for president. She does have higher ambitions here. And keep in mind, she does have six more months in office if and when she loses the primary tonight. The new Congress will start in early January. So expect to hear from Cheney in the coming months, especially when it comes to January 6th. The headline I'm watching out of Alaska uh, is twofold. One, Sarah Palin, we could be seeing her return as a congresswoman to Washington. She is running for the congressional seat from Alaska. That is open because the previous congressman, Don Young, passed away earlier this year. Palin is one of multiple candidates running for that seat. She still faces some issues in Alaska. She's not as popular, especially after resigning 10 years ago from a corruption scandal. Uh, The majority of Republicans in Alaska still find her unpopular, but it's a multi-seat primary And she did get the endorsement of former President Trump. So we will see if she makes it through. And then in the Senate seat, Lisa Murkowski, who's pretty anti-Trump. She's pro-choice Republican. She votes with Biden two-thirds of the time. We thought she might go down, but because of the way Alaska is situated with multiple people running in a primary from both parties, it looks like Lisa Murkowski is going to live to fight another day. Okay, there's a couple other headlines I want to get to here before we go today. There's a headline that crossed late Monday out of L.A. that shows that the recall effort to recall George Gascon, he's the L.A. District Attorney, did not get enough signatures to qualify for the ballot and will not move forward. This is a huge blow to a lot of people, uh, police unions, groups that have opposed Gascone, who feel that crime is too high in L.A. So the county clerk's office in L.A. said Monday night that 520,000 signatures were valid. But they are nearly 47,000 signatures short of making the ballot of valid signatures. They actually disqualified one out of four signatures for issues. Uh, These were signatures submitted by the recall campaign. They've been standing outside on street corners in L.A. for months trying to get these signatures. They actually thought they were in pretty good shape. Uh, They got more signatures than they needed. They figured, okay, they'll have to throw out some. Some might be invalid. But it turns out that one in four are invalid. And so they are short uh, by a number of votes, nearly 50,000 votes here, of the number of signatures they needed. Gascon has been one of the most prominent DAs within the growing movement to elect prosecutors dedicated to criminal justice reform. That came out of the last couple of years out of the Black Lives Matter movement, but we have now seen efforts, including in San Francisco, that with the rising crime, there's been an effort to recall some of these DAs who people feel are weak on crime, and that they came in with this idea of criminal justice reform, of ending cash bail for nonviolent felonies. But because crime is up, there is a growing movement in a number of American cities to recall people like Gascon. It'll be very interesting to monitor how exactly they failed here and why so many of these signatures turned out to not be valid. Okay, we're watching a a big headline out of Scotland, which became the first country in the world on Monday to require that public facilities provide period products that includes female hygiene products free of charge to anyone. It will now be the responsibility of local authorities and educators to ensure that period products are free and available in public buildings, including schools. The law is meant to end something called period poverty, a phrase used to describe the struggle of low-income people to afford menstrual products like pads and tampons. The law passed two years ago and now goes into effect. In Scotland, activists are saying they are the first country, but they will not be the last to make this happen. Here in the U.S., the Wall Street Journal reports that students have been campaigning for schools to provide menstrual products in bathrooms free of charge. There's also a growing campaign to eliminate taxes on tampons and pads here in the U.S., Period Equity, they're a nonprofit. They estimate that 26 states still have a sales tax on menstrual products. They are trying to end that. Okay, everyone with an iPhone better get ready to see more ads on their phones. Bloomberg News reports that Apple is looking at more ways to boost revenue, and that may include expanding advertising on its first-party apps on the iPhone. These are the apps that come pre-installed on your iPhone. Right now, the company generates about $4 billion in annual revenue from its ad business. It's trying to more than double that into double digits. So Apple right now has ads on Apple News, Apple Stocks, those are the apps on your iPhone. They're looking to expand this to things like Apple Maps. If anyone out here uses Apple Maps, I'm a a Google Maps guy. Sometimes dabble in the ways, never quite Apple Maps. But if you're an Apple Maps person, expect to see ads. That could come to you in a way where if you're on Apple Maps, you're searching for a gas station or a sandwich advertisers can pay Apple to make sure that their results show up at the top as you're navigating to wherever you need to go. I reported recently that ads are coming everywhere to your phone, including the lock screen. That's when you lock your phone. You typically see a photo of your pet, a family member, a really cool picture. Well, Android is working to make ads available on that lock screen. So be aware, folks, that ads could be coming to pretty much every app on your phone. Now, just in time for the start of the school year, there is a new study out on how much sleep kids should be getting in all age groups. It found that elementary school and middle school kids who get less than nine hours of sleep each night show significant differences in some brain regions. These are regions responsible for memory, intelligence, and well-being. That's compared to kids who get more than nine hours of sleep, which apparently is the recommended amount. And so the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, they recommend that all children ages 6 to 12 get more than nine hours of sleep and up to 12 hours of sleep. This study looked at 8,300 kids, and they found a number of differences between those who got less than nine hours of sleep and those who got more than nine hours of sleep. That included issues like anxiety, impulsive behavior, and links to severe mental health issues like depression. By the way, there are sleep recommendations for all age groups. Teenagers, by the way, ages 13 to 18, they need more than 8 hours of sleep, 8 to 10 hours of sleep, they recommend. Now, a lot of kids are not getting that, and so schools across the country, you may have seen a headline near you, are pushing back their start times as the majority of kids are not getting enough sleep. And so they feel that by pushing school start from 8 a.m. maybe to 9 a.m. or 9 to 9.30 will allow kids to get more sleep. When it comes to getting enough sleep here, the American Academy of Pediatrics says that parents need to prioritize sleep. They need to maintain a regular sleep schedule to the extent that your kids are listening to you. They also say promoting physical activity during the day is good. Limiting screen time and specifically limiting screen time before bed is key to sleep here. And I wanna end on a positive note, an effort to keep your pets alive longer this is a story i caught out of the mit technology review there are several groups now seeking to understand and improve the dog aging process the idea behind these studies is to find biological clues that might help identify dogs that might be at risk of developing diseases like dementia diseases that humans also experience so again the hope is that helping to identify this in dogs might help humans down the road and so they've already tested smaller animals but they're looking to get to dogs here because dogs live at home with us breathe the same air we do. And so it'll be very interesting to see what they come up with here. Part of the study will look at 8,500 dogs who will have their genomes sequenced. The idea is to find biological clues that will help identify which dogs might be at risk here. They're going to look at potential anti-aging drugs among the groups of pets. The first being studied, by the way, is a drug called rapamycin. It is a drug that has been found to extend the lives of flies, worms, and mice in the lab. Rapamycin is thought to mimic the effects of caloric restriction, which has been found to help multiple species live longer, actually. And by the way, we have seen studies, and there are ongoing studies, into making humans live longer. There's billionaires like Jeff Bezos, Yuri Milner, others that are working on projects to help humans live as long as possible. It'll be very interesting to see what happens here. In the meantime, we have been watching the headlines in recent years of people cloning their pets. In this case, we now see studies, and I recommend this piece out of MIT Technology Review in regards to making their pets live longer. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. we love your feedback on how we're doing, on what we're covering. Email us podcast at mo.news. Subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. And please follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. And review us over in the App Store. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.